Praise God. Yeah. All right, that's how church should be, yeah? All right, here we go. We're going to jump into God's Word. We are in the book of First Peter. Now, if you are brand new to us, we've been going through the year with a theme of becoming, becoming all that God designed us to be. We've been pulling out different books of the Bible to study, and one of those is the book of First Peter. This series we entitled Resilient, and we're trying to learn how do we be bounce back resilient Christians when things are against us, when things are not going our way, when things are unfair, when things are frustrating. How do we snap back into a Jesus-like mindset when it seems like everything is hard, yeah? That's what we've been studying. So we've been going through and talking about resilient goodness. We've been talking about resilient hope. We've been talking about all these issues. Well, today, it is resilient righteousness. We're in part six, and I need us to understand we are here on this planet to bless other people. Now, we're here for God to glorify him, but you see, everything about our faith has been founded on the concept that we would be a blessing. Let me give you an example. Did you know that Christianity is a grafted-in portion to the Jewish faith. Do you know that? You know that our history is Jewish. You you know that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah, whereby he was the fulfillment of Judaism. You know that, yes? Well, if you take that all the way back, that means our history ties with their history. And that leads us all the way back to a man by the name of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man that God selected out, and he said a very special promise and covenant. Abraham, I want you to go where I'm going to call you to go, and I'm going to bless you that you might bless all the earth. That was the promise. Now, that has never changed throughout all these years. As God has revealed himself to his people, he blesses us that we might bless other people. Christianity is based on the very concept that you're not trying to drum it up in yourself, but God fills you with so much extra, it's normal to give out. For example, love. After you experience the intensity of the love of God, you should feel so loved and so precious to God that you can even love your enemies because they couldn't possibly rock your world that you would say, I'm so filled up, I just pour out on you. That's what you do with forgiveness. That's what you do with grace. You've been given so much of it, you share out of your overflow. God is not saying, try harder. He's saying, open up to me, let me fill you up, you then share with other people. But we are being blessed to be a blessing. You're not being blessed so you can live your best life now. You are blessed so that you may be able to make someone else's day better than it was when they first got there, yeah? Therefore, the fill in the blank on your sheet is simply this. If you're watching online, make sure that you fire up the app. You can fill in the blank right there along with us. Christ calls us to be a blessing. Now, that is very important because there's going to be a lot of times in your life, you don't feel like 
blessing anybody. You don't feel like you got anything to bless anybody with. You feel like you're running on empty. How do we become resilient Christians that can bounce back and still do right things in such a messed up world? That's what we're talking about today. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, if you're brand new to the Bible. If you got one in your hands, or maybe there's one under the seat in front of you, just drop that Bible open in the middle, go all the way to the right. You're going to see these little baby books at the end with guys that finally have normal names, like John and Peter, right? You got past all those Hosea weird ones, right? All the way on the right, you're going to find a book, 1 Peter, we're in chapter 3, verse 8. If you are looking at one of the ESVs that we have out there, that's a type of Bible. It's page 1015, 1015. That'll get you there a little bit faster. All right, now he's going to say a lot. We're going to go through it as rapidly as possible. So seatbelt up. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter says, finally, all of you, meaning I've talked to all these specific circumstances. Now I'm just talking to you Christians in general. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. All right, let's talk about this. When you read lists like this, do you understand they are commands? They are not suggestions. And when you see a list like this, does it make you feel guilty or that you have to add more things to your to-do list? You see, there's some of us, and some of our personalities lend to this more than others, but there's some of us that believe that Christianity is a to-do list. We want to add God on, like we're trying to be good people. We read the Bible, and it's got a bunch of stuff we have to do. So we make these little lists. Do my devotions every day. Make sure that I pray every day. Make sure that I'm nice to people every day. Here's the problem with having a to-do list. Sometimes you to-don't. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You see, a better way to live is to spend the time reflecting on why you're doing something and own into it and allow it to integrate into who you are. So, for example, prayer. If prayer is a to-do list, and you're gonna know whether or not you're like this, because if you have ever had this experience, you are. Here's the experience. Man, now that I think about it, I haven't prayed in like four or five days. If you've ever said that phrase, it's still a to-do on your list. Now, I'm not telling you that that's not sweet. I'm not telling you that that's not beautiful. I'm not telling you that that's not an awesome discipline. What I'm telling you is you're still operating off will and strength. And at some point, it needs to be integrated that you're just doing it naturally because it's who you are. Let me tell you how my, my walk with God goes. The idea of not talking to God is weird to me. Because I have this open, constant communication. Now, if you want to talk about how many marathon things am I interceding for people for an hour at a time, yeah, that's super rare. If you're talking about me driving down the road and going, man, Lord, that's a cool car. Can I have that one? That happens quite a bit. 
If you end up saying, you guys, I drive a Kia. Come on, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, a man can only handle so much. It's white. Anyway, but as I'm going through my life, man, I'm talking about, oh, that was funny, Lord, or that was weird, or, or I can't believe that's going on, or, oh, Lord, I'm having a hard time, or I'm not doing good today. That is an open channel of communication 24 hours a day. And I do it not because it's on my list. I do it because it's just who I am. You guys, I'm not a Christian because it works for me. I'm a Christian because it's the only reality that makes sense to me. So I just am. When you read these lists, these should be natural things that flow out if you're healthy in the core. Yeah? So we're going to read a list, and some of them are going to sound very challenging. So let's go through the list. Here's what he said we as Christians ought to be or do. Ready? Have unity of mind. Shoot, we already blew that one. Now that's hard enough in times of peace, but holy cow, right now in our society, we gotta argue about everything. Man, let me start bringing up masks. Oh, how we feel about masks. Let's talk about vaccinations. Should it be mandatory, should it not? Let's talk about politics. This is gonna be awesome, right? All of a sudden, everyone's head just explodes. Oh, I hate those people, and I can't believe they to think this way. And I, oh my gosh, those are, they don't care about me, and, and that's horribly unhealthy, and blah, 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 blah. And we got a million opinions that just erupt out of nowhere. So how in the world are we supposed to be unified in our minds? I've got to tell you this. Until we raise the level of what we care about most and raise the level of our conversation, we will be divided. As long as we are talking about personal preference, personal fear, personal agenda, our conversation is too low. We've got to kick it up one higher. Let me give you a couple examples. So recently, I was asked to take over the role of pastor-to-pastor radio show at KFIA. Now, what that means is, for the first 23 years, it was Dr. Henry Wells, right, who was from Pharaoh Presbyterian Church, an amazing man of God. For the last four years, it was Dr. John Jackson from William Jessup University. Well, now it's been handed to me. Now, when I say I have the job, I mean I'm volunteering. Let's also be clear about that, yeah? All right, cool, 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 all right. As I go on that radio show, here's my role. To have them bring in other pastors from other churches, and my job is to highlight their ministries. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but all pastors that I know are opinionated and insecure. Right, yeah, I'm talking about me. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, we're all clear on that, right? So you do know that churches don't agree on stuff, yeah? I mean, you do know that that's kind of been part of the problem of God's family all along. So my job is to highlight their ministry. Hold up. What if they're not doing it like I would do it? What if they're not doing it the right way? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So my job is to go on the air and start talking with another person that does stuff different than me and highlight them. How do you do that? I'll tell you exactly how we do that. The minute we jump into a conversation of do you love Jesus and is he not great, everything else falls away and we are instantly transported into being buddies. 
Now all of a sudden we're laughing and joking together and we're connecting and, oh, don't you think the world needs to be saved? Yeah, me too. And then, oh, don't you think God should be lifted up? Yeah, me too. And we start have this camaraderie and we're having fun together and we leave bonded. But you guys, if we started that conversation with, hey dude, what's your political platform? Hey buddy, how do you handle this? Or, 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 your theology's a little off, right? All I'm telling you is as long as we are in that area, division's going to occur. We gotta kick it one level higher. We're talking too low. I'll give you another example. I was talking with Ray Johnston earlier this week, right? From Bayside Covenant Church. You guys know them, right? Well, Ray's a buddy of mine, so we're chatting about this. He tells me the other day that they planted a church in Southern California, and I use the joke, where have you not planted a church? <laughs> he thinks that's less funny than I do. <laughs> but I was particularly bitter about this one. And the reason why is because he planted it on the edge of Costa Mesa and Newport Beach. And I was like, come on, that is not suffering for the Lord. That's where I vacation. That is not real, you can't do that. So he tells me the story. You see, there's a college down there called Vanguard University. It's a college that uh, my younger daughter wants to go to. And they had had a long-term relationship with a church on their campus and that had soured. And that church moved on, so they wanted a church on their campus. So they reached out to Bayside and said, will you plant a church here? It was not Bayside's idea, it was their idea. And they said, oh, I don't know, let's check it out, let's see if we, that's something we can do. Check this out, they did plant a church there. Yeah. You know what it is? It's an Assembly of God church. I'm sorry, what's that? <laughs> I thought they were Bayside Covenant Church. Totally different denomination. They put all of their leadership and resources to plant a church of a different denomination. Got nothing to do with Bayside. Why? Because it's about the kingdom and it's bigger than any one church. You guys, how do you do that? You gotta make Jesus more important than what you're being so passionate for in your own life. We've got to lift the level of what we're bonding over so that we might be one in mind. What the Bible did not say is we should be of the same preference. The Bible did not say we should be of the same politics. The Bible did not say we should have everything in common. It said, when it comes to the most important things, we must be family and be unified. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Now, he adds to this, he adds a couple other things. He said, I need you to treat other people warmly, especially those in the church. I need you to have sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Now, that means you actually like the people that you're in church with. And I need to understand whether or not that's true for you. Do you understand that when I walk through this building, when I preach from this stage, I'm looking out at people I know a lot about your families. I know a lot about your lives. You are my family, you're my friends. Church is way more fun with friends. 
and every corner I turn, I see someone I love. And I want that to be your experience at Bridgeway, but that's never gonna be the case as long as you're so aloof, we can't know you. Does that make sense? You gotta serve with other people. You gotta go to classes with other people. You gotta be in missional communities with other people. You gotta do events with other people because it starts making church shrink down and you have your people. And when you have friends at church, it is a blast. And then you start caring from the heart about everything going on with them. And we start having a healthier community, yeah? Then he moves on. He says, we need to have humble minds, not lashing back, but blessing other people. Remember, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking less about yourself, okay? You are glorious in Jesus, but it's not about you. That means everywhere you go, you're thinking about how do you bless other people, yeah? He said, and when someone gets up in your face, I need you to shift into ministry blessing mode because what they have just demonstrated is they're not immediately sweet and kind, so I need you to now minister to them and bring your sweet and kindness to the scenario, right? That's how we bless our enemies. It didn't say that you enjoy them. It says that you bless them. That's a whole different ballgame. And then he says this, and we do all this that we might be blessed by God. Did you know that there is a sweetness of relationship with your heavenly father when you do good things? Did you know that? And here's why. God carries around little Scooby snacks in his pocket. <laughs> and what he ends up doing is that whenever you do something good, he goes, flick, and he flicks it over, you, you grab it in your mouth, and he's like, good boy, right? And then he flicks another one. Oh, you were so nice to that person. Here you go, right? And he's handing it to you. And it's because he's able to be in a, I'm your dad, let's go have fun mode. But when you shift out into your own agenda and you start being mean to other people, he has to shift into, I'm dad correcting mode. And when you're a dad discipline mode, fun shuts down. And no more Scooby snacks for you. Dad. Right? We want to make God smile. We want to make God's heart be blessed. We want to go through our lives where he's laughing with us and we're joking with him and we're doing things that build his kingdom. That's how we ought to be, right? All right, he moves on. Verse 10, he says, four, and he's quoting Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I don't think I need to teach you a message that our words have the power to lift up or tear down. I think we're old enough to figure that one out. Can we please use our words to build each other up? and not to tear one another down. Yeah, amen. But here's what's interesting about it. What we tend to do with our words, sometimes we don't, we don't think through. And we end up spending a lot of time manipulating situations. Here's what I mean. Try this for one day. 
don't defend yourself. It is super weird and it's really awkward. You realize you spend the majority of your time manipulating situations so that you look better. Okay? So, for example, you're in a conversation with a bunch of friends. Somebody says, man, I remember this one time that I was in Little League and I hit this home run and my whole team was like, yeah, you're awesome. And that wasn't normally how I did it. And so it's kind of a cool day. And the next person goes, I remember hitting a home run on, on opening day. You're like, did you just one-up me? <laughs> what the heck, bro? Like I was telling a story and now what? You want your story to be better than my story. And what you just did was take the spotlight off that person and move it right back over on you. Now, you didn't mean to do that. You were thinking you're adding to the conversation. But subtly, you're manipulating and shifting it so you look better. Try not doing that for a whole day, and it's so difficult because we spend all of our time adjusting so someone else thinks we're better than we are. And I'll tell you, there are different ways that our words lift up and tear down. Give me an example. So, along with my spiritual gift of sarcasm, <laughs> I have an unusually critical element to my spirit. And here's how I found out. Now, I'm the type of guy, I was an English major, and I'm the type of guy that I live in the details, right? So I see details on everything, and so if there's any misspeak or any misprint, I immediately see it, and it really kind of bugs me. So I've made it into kind of a joke, right? So if I'm talking with you, and you meant to say, uh, I believe in God, and you said, I believe in mob, I'm going to be like, bah, that's funny, you just said mob, not God. Now, I think that stuff is super funny. Here's what I found out. I trained my daughters to do it. And I thought we all had the repartee in our family and every time anyone would misspeak, everyone else would kind of pile on them like, oh my gosh, what did you just say, right? And now all of a sudden that's the only way they think, right? They're immediately tracking on anything that is misspoken. Here's the problem. When you do it to somebody that is either insecure or you do it to somebody who's having a hard day, it's crushing. I don't think of it that way. I didn't intend it that way. But that's how it feels. And I didn't understand that critical part of my spirit. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to process my weird OCD about what I just heard. Bottom line, same result. You're critical. The other day, I was, uh, on, I was on the air with a, uh, another pastor, and they were doing a Christmas event. And they had these flyers in front of me, and I was supposed to highlight their Christmas event. And I look at the back of it, and Christmas is spelled wrong. I am not mature enough not to point that out. I said, Pastor Jim, is it Christmas or Christmas? He goes, what? And I was like, dude, it's, it's Christmas has no T in it. You took Christ out of Christmas. You put Chris in there, but I don't know who he is. And now he was kind of a, a smart aleck guy, and he was like, dude, don't tell me that, because now my OCD's tracking on that stuff. And he's like, I told my youth pastor, you can't put stuff out if you're not going to proofread it. And I go, well, it's better than the other time he said it right here where it says chersitmus. <laughs> I just keep piling on. <laughs> well, then he has to leave there, and he's like, we made thousands of these flyers. Yeah. 
And in my mind, I'm being me, when in fact, it ends up just being mean. You understand what I'm talking about? We're not always trying to do it intentionally, but we can be pretty critical and use our words to tear other people down. Let's be real careful on that one. Seek peace and pursue it. Do you realize you can bless situations? I know you know about blessing people, but let's say a situation's going south. Do you know the art form of turning it around? Here's what I mean. Imagine you're hanging out with, guys, we'll, we'll talk to you for a moment. You're hanging out with your friends and an attractive lady walks in and they shift into that mode of like predator where they just start making bad comments and they're doing all this stuff. What do you do there? How do you bless the scenario? Because you got two jobs. Your first job is to restore her reputation and watch over her. Secondly, you need to let them know that you're about something better than that. But you have to do it in a way that's not super awkward, right? Because here's what we do. We as Christian guys, we panic and say stupid things like, I don't like women. <laughs> and then the other person's like, I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I didn't even ask you that, right? And then you're like, I, I don't think things are funny. And you're like, that's not an answer. How do we do an art form to be able to say there's no question she is attractive, but I believe she demands respect and I believe that I'm a different type of guy. I'm about something else. How do you become relatable so you can continue to minister to those guys while at the same time protecting her? Do you understand this is how you bless a situation? You go, well, that sounds difficult. That's why you have to work on it. You're pursuing creating peace and it doesn't come naturally. We have to figure that one out along the way, yeah? Then he, he says this, verse 13. Now, who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. But have no fear of those people that persecute you, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here's what he just said. You can do all the right things in the world, but sometimes people are gonna be mean to you. I don't want you to be afraid of them. I want you to be afraid of me. Now that sounds weird. Let me break that apart. We give other people way too much control over our mindsets, our identity, and how we feel today. Why are we doing that? Do we not answer to God alone? Is he not the definer of our identity? then why in the world are we allowing other people to rattle us? Why are we allowing other people to make us feel bad about ourselves? Why are we allowing other people to navigate our joy level of the day? You following me? Because here's what God said. Stop giving them so much power and start refocusing on me. I don't know how many of you remember this, but you might need to be older than 40. How many of you remember, and you grew up in church, how many of you remember when we overused the word magnify the Lord? Anybody remember that? It was in every song, magnify the Lord, mag, right? We don't say that anymore. What does magnify mean? You know, like a magnification or a microscope. What are you doing? You're making that which is small bigger. Yeah, is that true? All right, how do you magnify the Lord? Is he kind of having a shrinking problem and you have to get him back up, right? And he's deflating, you know, and then you have to kind of pump him back up. No, here's what it means. God has always been the same size, but you keep shrinking him in your mind. 
knock it off. Refocus, relock in, because God is great and mighty. Because when he starts shrinking in your mind, your problems get too big for him to handle. You understand? When people are afraid, I do something very unusual with them. So they'll come in and they're like, man, I feel like I'm getting attacked spiritually and I feel like sometimes I go to bed at night and I feel like there's like d- demonic presence and I don't know what to do and I'm, I'm scared. I take them to the book of Revelation. Now that's just mean, yeah? <laughs> like the scariest book of the Bible, I'm like, hey, let's read about doom and darkness, right? No, I take them to one particular passage. It says that Jesus Christ, as the commander of the army of God, comes riding out of heaven, leading the heavenly forces. He has king of kings and lord of lords written on his thigh. He has a sword that slays nations. His eyes are blazing fire. Why do I read that? Because until you read and recognize that God is that vicious and strong, your enemy still looks like a big deal. I immediately lower everything else and go, do you understand how rough and brutal your God is when he gets in warfare? Your enemy should be afraid, not you. The idea is magnify the Lord in your mind. Stop letting everyone else have too much power over you and get your Jesus back up to where he needs to be. That's how our problems shrink. Amen? Amen. All right, let's keep moving. Yeah, praise God. Always, it says, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But you got to do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered by them, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay, here's the bottom line. Not everyone's going to agree with you, and a lot of people are going to think that if you're a Christian, you're ignorant. Can't believe you don't believe in evolution. What's wrong with you? You don't want to follow facts. You don't like science. Can't believe that you're a Christian. You believe in this invisible God and blah, 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 and they're going to make fun of you. You should be ready at any time to explain why you're a believer. You're like, well, I don't know all the answers. I didn't say you needed to know all the answers. I said, why are you a Christian? You know that answer. And you give them a clear reason. They may not buy it, they may not agree, but you give them a reason. But when you do that, your attitude in how you do that matters most. When you speak back, let's say you're discussing that with another religion, your attitude must always match the content you're sharing. Because here's what's weird. I'm going to argue Jesus is true by being mean to you. At what point does that not seem odd? At what point did you not undermine your entire argument because your terrible behavior demonstrated that even if you're right, they never want to be like you? There is no allowance for disrespect when you're debating biblical issues. You have to match the content that you're sharing. If it's good news, you better keep a smile on your face. Yeah? All right, let's keep moving forward. It says this, you're gonna read one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
He just gave you the three principles Jesus used to bring us to God. And this is going to blow your mind. Here we go. Number one, he was the sinless suffering for sin. Did you know that Jesus was sinless? How do we know that? Well, the Bible says he is the sinless lamb of God. But it's more than that. He's actually more sinless than you and I could ever be. Why? Because he wasn't born with original sin. You're like, what? Okay, hold up. Do you know that you are born as a baby a sinner? Do you know why you're born a sinner? Because through your dad, thanks dad, through your dad, sin is perpetuated down through all generations going from Adam. How do we know it goes through the dad? Because when God was going to come into this world, he took the dad out of the mix, God stepped in with his bare hand of creation, merged it with Mary, and fused together the God-man. And that was Jesus Christ incarnate. Why he did that was so that he could be fully God and fully man. He could die for the sins of the world, but still be pure. He can't be that if he has original sin on him. So God took care of that part. So he walked into this world like the only two other people on this planet, Adam and Eve, who were not born in original sin. They were purified humanity. They're still human, but they didn't have the stain of sin on them. That was Jesus Christ walking into this world. He was sinless from birth, but then it was his job to make sure he remained sinless. Did he remain sinless? Yes, he did. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways that we are, yet was without sin. Meaning all the way up to the cross, Jesus had done everything that the Father asked him to do. And he was pure and sin-free. Then why did he die? Because he died with a heap of sin put upon his chest, and he died for the sin of the world. Why? Love. He did it for you. That's why. Then it says the righteous for the unrighteous. Was Jesus righteous? Yes, he was. Do you know what righteousness means? It means doing things right. It means doing it like God would do it. Was Jesus righteous? Yes, he was. Not only did he start that way, but do you have any idea why Jesus lived 33 years? Why not just show up one year and boom, nail it and move on? Here's why. From childhood, he said yes to the father and yes to the father and yes to the father. He said yes to the father as a teenager. He said yes to the father as a young adult. He said yes to the father as an adult. As a matter of fact, he was the perfect Jew. He fulfilled every Mosaic law. He fulfilled every Levitical law. He made sure to fulfill every tradition. He made sure to fulfill every ritual. As a matter of fact, he went through and said yes to the Father in every possible way. Why? To stack up righteousness. 
He was that beautiful, purified humanity that was able to do good works. He stacked up good work after good work after good work after good work after good work and got this massive record full of blessing. And when you do righteous things, there's a new, fresh relationship with the Father. It already said, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much that God's eyes and ears are attentive to the righteous. Jesus stacked this massive record, had perfect communication with the Father. Why did he do that? Because when he died, he died cursed as unrighteous. Then why in the world stack all that up to trade with you? You get his, he gets yours. Every single thing you didn't do right, he did, and he's offering it to you. He dies for your sin so you could have his righteousness. And what was the result? He died and rose a victor. What's Peter's point? You guys, nothing that happened to Jesus was fair. It never was. Why should the righteous die as unrighteous? Why should the sinless die as if he was a sinner? And everybody that walked down the road saw him hanging on the cross, likely naked, believing him to be a bad guy. Why do that? So you wouldn't have to. That's why. There's sometimes we just need to be re-stunned by what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah? Then it gets weird. Verse 19. <laughs> in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism. What? which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I'm sorry, what are you talking about, Peter? I have no idea what you just said. All right, here's the story. Peter said, okay, we need to act like Jesus, but as a matter of fact, Jesus wasn't done. When he died on the cross afterwards, the Apostle Creed tells us, that he then descended down and proclaimed something. Where did he descend and what did he proclaim? He descended down into the grave where there was both a place for the righteous and the unrighteous. He proclaimed what he had done on the cross in victory, which means freedom, for those that were going to be his kiddos that he was gonna take up to heaven, and he proclaimed judgment on those that stood against him. You're like, what does that have to do with Noah? All right, here's Peter's mindset. Do you realize that some of those that are unrighteous, that are hanging out in hell right now, are fallen angels that tried to ruin the world? Do you know that? That's who he's talking about. In other words, do you understand that the enemy, Satan and his team, led the world into such depravity 
that by the time we get to Noah, there's only one righteous guy left. How effective does your strategy have to be to take out the entire world? They probably felt pretty good about themselves till they got busted and then thrown into prison. Then they don't feel too great about themselves at all. They tried to ruin humanity. So what did God do? He said, I'm starting over again and I'm hitting the big flush button. Grabs Noah, puts him safely in the ark with his family. Everybody else gone? Let them all out? Here we go again. Here was his whole point. I'm going to go down and I'm going to proclaim, you tried to ruin humanity, I just redeemed it. You just tried to steal everything from me. I just went and bought them back. Whatever you thought you could do to me, I always win. That's our Jesus. And you go, what does that have to do with baptism? Here's Peter's point. Man, the whole time God had his Noah family safe while he was dealing with all the sin in the world in the water. Oh, that's weird. He does the same thing when we're baptized. When we symbolically go under the water, he's dealing with our sin and we rise up safe in his hands and we are guaranteed to be saved forever, yeah? The whole point is this. It's not fair to be Noah, the only righteous guy where everything's terrible, but God stood up for him. It's not fair to be a Christian and feel persecuted all the time, but God protected and stood up for you. It's not fair when you get persecuted, but God knows what he's doing. You've never been alone, and you won't be. That's our good God. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know whether or not this is the first time you've been at Bridgeway, first time you've interacted with this message stuff. But I don't know how you don't have your heart melted by love like that. So maybe that's your gift today. Maybe this is the time when God says, I can save you, do you want me to? Because if you do, he's ready and willing. If you are a child of God already, should you not walk out of here thankful? Should you not walk out of here with a heart full of strength, knowing you're walking in a state of grace? knowing you're walking in the power and authority of God, knowing that he wants to heal not only your body, but even more so your spirit, don't you want to walk out of here knowing that you serve a good God and a good father, amen? Let's close in prayer. We'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Everything good is from you. So Lord, we just count our blessings right now. Jesus, what you did in order for us to be okay boggles our minds. We're asking right now that somehow, some way, you would let us see you more rightly, magnify your name, that we might be able to praise you more. The only thing we're bringing to the table today, God, is a yes. And so we willingly say yes to whatever your question's gonna be. Whatever your command is for us, the answer is yes. 
May we be like clay in your hands. Make us as you wish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.